Hi, this is Crystal Cyrus from the OOTW Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 141, Strange Brew Movie Review. Brian, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You'll find us on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM for Derek and at C McBrien for me. And popgoesyourworld.com is our website with all of our contact information. Derek, how are you, my friend? And what's going on in pop culture in your world? Hey, Chris, I'm doing Hi. very well. Thanks for asking. Mm-hmm. And uh, pop culture wise, I had a chance to see a couple of older movies this week. One really nice. older and one, nice. one just a little bit older. Oh, I'm intrigued. Uh, so the first one I watched was from 1970, Oscar nominated for Best Picture, Five Easy Pieces. Oh, nice. Did you like it? I hated it. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me, let me, let me. So. I'd never seen it. Mm-hmm. The only thing I knew about it was Jack Nicholson's in it. Yes. And there's the scene in the diner where he wants to order the toast and he has to be like, she's like, no substitutions. He's like, do you have chicken salad sandwich? Okay, I'll take the chicken salad sandwich. Hold the mayo, hold the lettuce, hold the chicken. <laughs> there's that whole scene. So right. that was all I knew about this movie. I literally knew nothing else. Didn't know anybody else who was in it. Didn't know what it was about. Nothing. But, you know, Jack Nicholson is usually pretty good. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I recorded this movie a few weeks ago. I finally got a chance to watch it. Uh, the title is apparently a reference to a um, uh, beginner's piano book. Like p- the five easy pieces are piano pieces, like like songs you would play on a piano, which, again, I had no idea that's what the title was a reference to. And man, oh, man, it was slow. It was boring. Like it was really boring. Um, yeah, I, I honestly I didn't finish it. It ran about an hour and 45 minutes. I think I got about an hour and five, hour and 10 into it. I basically watched until that diner scene. And I was like, this movie is terrible. I, I just I couldn't get into it at all. I didn't even care enough to fast forward through it to see like, well, maybe let's see where it goes here. Because sometimes you just fast forward through a movie. And even though you're not listening and even though they're moving at 10 times normal speed, you get a sense of where the story's going. I didn't even care about that. Like, I just don't care. Done. I'm out. And I don't usually stop a movie halfway through. Yeah. Not recommending that one. Uh, the other one I watched, though. Uh, newer, newer than that, but older from where we are now, was from 1998, Great Expectations. Chris, have you mm-hmm. ever seen – so I guess the question is, have you seen Five Easy Pieces? Have you seen Great Expectations? So I've never seen Five Easy Pieces, no. And I've never seen Great Expectations. And to take it even a step further, <laughs> this is bad. I've never even read the book. Wow. I okay. And I, I've, yeah, I've read quite a bit of, you know, old literature and I, I like a lot of the old classics, but I've never read Great Expectations. So the 1998 version of Great Expectations, um, one of the things that I remember the most about it when I, when it first came out, um, I was, I was just finishing school. 
And it had a fantastic soundtrack, a lot of really great 90s artists. And and I always remember buying the soundtrack and just, you know, really enjoying like all the songs on it. It was it was wall to wall, just great songs, which you don't always get on any album, uh, even with a movie soundtrack. But this one was quite good. And it wasn't just like, uh, say, Forrest Gump soundtrack, where it's a greatest hits of songs from a certain period. This was all new and original composition. So it was it was a real treat. Uh, one thing I didn't realize until I just watched it is it was directed by uh, Alfonso Caron, who uh, has become a huge director now, right? He he did yeah. Gravity, Gravity and yeah. uh, um, uh, Children of Men. He did Roma. Like, you guys won an Oscar. Like, he is he is one of the it directors right now. So to realize that this was one of his early works was a nice little surprise when I was watching it. And, uh, I mean, the cast in this this movie is huge. Ethan Hawke, Gwyneth, ha- Gwyneth Paltrow, um, Oscar winner Chris Cooper, Robert De Niro, and Bancroft, like – it's got big names in it and uh the the style of the movie is really good too it's got like this this really um interesting green color palette through the whole movie the it's very artsy um anyway I, I, the more i watched it the more i thought i may have to recommend that we watch this movie down the road it's uh, it's got a lot to like about it it wasn't a huge hit uh, and it, it may not uh, be everyone's favorite to sort of go, oh, yeah, that's a big that's, you know, not necessarily something you want to go back and watch 20 times. But if you're not familiar with Great Expectations, the book, you haven't seen any of the previous iterations of the movie. Maybe this is a good jumping in point. So anyway, I really liked it. It was it was a, a great walk down memory lane for me. And the music just blew me away. I find music for, is always so visceral for me when I hear songs from my past that that invoke memory. It really brings me to a moment. And uh, this movie really did that for me this week. So anyway, those are my two five easy pieces. Can't recommend it. Great expectations. Can't recommend it highly enough. Okay. So for me, one thing, it's actually related to the podcast this week. So I was talking to my son, he's 11. And I said, Oh, he was asking me, what are you doing on the podcast this week, daddy? I said, Oh, we're covering a movie called strange brew. It's, you know, an old movie. You don't know it. And it's with these guys called the McKenzie brothers. He's like, I know them. I said, no, 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 you don't. No, no. Yeah, I do. They're, they, they're the ones that sing 12 days of Christmas, daddy. I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's impressive. How do you, how do you, year old. yeah, I'm like, how do you know that? He's like, because they played at Christmas time and you told me all about it. I was like, oh, I did. I forgot all about that. So it's so cool. So that he remembered all that. So I thought that was really, really good. Uh, so that was pretty much it. Other than that, I didn't do a whole lot pop culture wise. But uh, one thing is we all know I'm an old Gen X guy. And that makes me an embarrassing dad to my kids. So here's your dad joke of the week. Now, since we're doing Strange Brew, I thought I'd do a Canadian pop culture dad joke this week. Derek, who would win in a fight between Celine Dion and Justin Bieber? Uh, I, I don't know. We all would. Oh, oh come on. That's some funny shit. Right there. Aha! <laughs> uh-huh. 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 They have the Big Mac, and we have the Big Mick. He helped yeah. Gilligan get off the island. Oh, yeah, that guy. That Damn. guy. Joe Lewis was 76 years old. Well, I know you used to work at the Chuck E. Cheese, right? What is that? Real velvet? Just let Oh, that boy is good. That boy can yeah, sing. That could work. Sexual chocolate. Oh, I, I've heard those lines before. <laughs> ah, what do you know from funny? 
Okay, so this week it was over to me, and I came up with Strange Brew, the 1983 uh, Canadian film. It was directed by Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas, who also play the lead characters of the McKenzie brothers, obviously. Uh, Characters are based on a recurring sketch on SETV from the Great White North. Uh, And a little bit about that I want to just touch base on, a little bit about SETV. So when SCTV first started out, it's SCTV obviously stands for Second City Television because it's the Second City crew at the time that got together, put on this TV, the sketch television show. And when they first started out, it was on the global television network for its first two seasons from 76 to 79. And then it actually took a year off and it came back in 1980 on CBC the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And when it moved to CBC, it also got picked up in syndication in the United States. The only thing was, is that the United States channels had an extra two minutes allotted to commercial time. So the producers of the show, they had to come up with two extra minutes of content for the, you know, for the Canadian version of the show. So they didn't know what to do. So they said, I know, let's come up with a just a, a two-minute segment that's just for Canadian audiences. The Americans will never see it. And since it was, you know, sort of Canadian only, the requirement, they decided to go with Canadian type content, quote unquote. And that's when Moranis and Thomas came up with the idea for the McKenzie brothers. And they thought, we'll just do a quick little sketch. We'll call it the Great White North about Canadian with these two guys on it that are like stereotypical Canadians. And the thing was, the sketch became so popular, it was soon added into the main part of the show, like for American audiences as well. And then because of the just the popularity of the show itself and of that sketch, they were given a chance to make a feature film. And that's how Strange Brew came about in 1983. Movie was made for only $4 million. When you watch, when you we'll go back and watch it, you can see that. It's a very low budget movie, uh, but it made, it only made $8.5 million at the domestic U.S. box office. Uh, finished 84th place among all the films that year. So it barely registered with American audiences. Uh, however, it did finish ahead of a few movies like Eddie and the Cruisers and DC Cab and Amityville 3D and, of course, Chained Heat. Uh, but um, I think before we get into the movie itself, I just want to touch base on SCTV a little bit. Now, Derek, did you ever like SCTV or did you watch it? I, excuse me, I did watch it occasionally. Again, I was pretty young when that was on the air originally. I would have only been like seven or eight years old. And I think for me, a big, big challenge was I could never really remember what day it was on, what time it was on. So in a a time when there was no such thing as on-demand television, if you missed it, you missed it. And I only ever remember catching it on very rare occasions. And so when I watched it, I enjoyed it. But they often relied on a lot of reoccurring characters, and many of them I just I didn't know, so I, I wasn't really in on the joke, and I found it was a little bit difficult to sort of just jump in halfway through, again, as, as someone who was younger and maybe didn't have a memory for that kind of thing. But I do remember a handful of characters that um, – that were on there, you know, some of the sketches and, and I do remember enjoying it. And, uh, unfortunately it's something I never really went back to when I got a little older and I probably should, cause I, I suspect I would really get a, a, a lot out of it. Well, uh, SCTV, I loved. So SCTV, I actually liked better than SNL. And let me tell you, that's saying something because I loved SNL. If you go back and listen to, I honestly was episode four of this podcast. Uh, Yancey and I covered SNL. And even in that episode, I remember he kept commenting on my energy and my enthusiasm, how much, you know, I loved SNL. 
But I believe that SCTV is the greatest sketch comedy show in the history of television. And that includes Monty Python, so which I consider to be one of the greatest comedy shows ever. So <clears throat> for those people that maybe are not familiar with SCTV, millennials mostly, I would think, but SCTV is that good. I believe it is. So anyway, I just wanted to get that out. Well, I assume because it's uh, Canadian content, it, the the episodes of the television show are probably pretty readily available on demand somewhere. So I may have to make a point of of finding somewhere online where I can stream the old episodes and and start to binge it and see if I uh, if it clicks with me like I, I think it might. Uh, yeah, it is absolutely fantastic. But anyway, so on to the movie. So these guys get a chance. They they actually, if you remember, I don't know if you, you knew this, but the McKenzie brothers were so popular on SCTV. They actually released a, an album. It was like a comedy album. And, and they, yes. where they did all these sketches on it. And they did uh, the song Take Off with uh, Getty Lee. From Getty Rush. Lee from yes. Rush. Yep. Hey, man, 10 bucks is 10 bucks. Yep, that's right. And then they did the 12 Days of Christmas. And that's the one that my son mentioned, you know, that I was mentioned about earlier. And it sold like a, like a bunch of copies in Canada. It was very popular. So based on that success, they thought, oh, you know, maybe we got something here. Let's make a, a feature film. And so a couple things to it. Like I should mention, too, just going back to SNL for a second. This is the only feature film that was ever based on an SCTV character. Whereas SNL had 11 films that were based on SNL characters. This was the only one from SCTV. But uh, anyway, so the movie itself, it opens up. And I had not seen this movie in 30 plus years, like most of the things on this podcast when I go back and watch. And I'd forgotten so many things about it. And the jokes come at, from, uh, come at you in this movie pretty, pretty fast. There's a couple times where the movie kind of goes into more of a kind of like crime-type solving things. And it gets a little weird in places. But uh, for the most part, it's just joke after joke after joke coming at you. So the movie opens up, and it's the MGM lion. and But, but instead of it roaring, it burps. Or you hear burping. And then the camera pulls around and you realize it's the McKenzie brothers. They're cranking his tail and they're drinking beer and they're burping. And then they start to show this. They're like, oh, we made a movie. So let's let's go over and let's play this movie that we made. And so just it's just like terrible thing. Like it looks like they shot it on, you know, like a little steady, like a hand camera. And this one was so funny. It's Rick Moranis wearing a hockey helmet. And he's going around. He's like, I was the only man left on the planet after the Holocaust, eh? Russia and the U.S. blew each other up in a nuclear war. And again, with that 80s Cold War nuclear fear, I tell you. But uh, it reminded me of all those post-apocalyptic uh, apocalyptic stuff that you, got, you and Yancey make me watch. But anyway, I thought it was funny because he's doing the voiceover. He's like, there was nothing to do because all the bowling alleys were closed. Yeah. <laughs> so I just spent all my time looking for beer. <laughs> he's going through the rock. I'm laughing. I thought that was pretty yeah. funny. And then he's like, and then I ran into an alien. Alien, are you friendly? And it's Dave Thomas. No way. I'm not friendly. I'm just, this is so stupid. But so at this point, Right off the top, I realized how much of a parody that these guys were. I mean, I always knew that they were an exaggerated parody of Canadians, but they, my God, they take it up to the nth degree. You know, he's even like, I'm getting whiplash from my burps, eh? Like, yeah. just, you just take it up to a, a, just a different level. But uh, so that my initial thought was when the movie opened up and I'm watching it, was I, I laughed and I was taken back to a, a, a place of, Canadian parody, but I was also, I also thought, oh, I don't know how well this movie aged because it is very low budget, you know, very, very low budget. What were your first impressions when you just, when the movie opened up and you're watching it? What were your thoughts? 
Because you'd seen it before, I'm assuming, years uh, ago, right? uh, Yes, I've seen it before. I haven't seen this movie, probably fair to say I haven't seen this since I was in university, so that would have been the mid-90s. So we're talking 20, 25 years. Um, So it had been a long time. But it's a Canadian staple of pop culture. And so there's a lot of parts in the movie, a lot of references of the movie that people will bring up in the most, in you know, obscure times. And you're like, oh, yeah, you know where it's from. But often those are just little bits. And the movie is, uh, you know, the movie runs an hour and a half. So it's like even if you know two or three little bits, there's still an hour and 25 minutes worth of the movie that you may be forgetting. And that's what I found happened to me. I, I sort of remembered some of the very broad strokes, but I, I didn't remember the little nuances. And so when I was watching it, like you, I thought, oh, this is from the early 80s. And I knew it was a lower budget. And I thought, man, this may not hold up that well. And I was actually surprised at, at number one, how well I thought it held up, that it was still funny. Um, obviously, some of the jokes were a little um, uh, dated in the sense that they were uh, you know, comedy is often a reflection of what's happening mm-hmm. in real life. And some of the things from the early eighties, it's, it's hard to relate to them now, uh, or, or to see the humor in the way that it was funny then. But for the most part, that wasn't really an issue either. Um, but no, I found, I, I enjoyed the movie a lot more than I expected to, cause I really expected it to be dumb. I really expected to not hold up well. So I was pleasantly surprised that for the most part, I did really enjoy it. And that there were a lot of little jokes just coming at you that they didn't all land, but a lot of them did. And a lot of them, I think I may have missed when I was watching it previously. Uh, again, experience and maturity, uh, give you a broader palette with which to, to put some of these things into context and relate them to. And so I think as a younger person, I may have, um, really, uh, not seen the full, the full value in some of the, some of the sequences, some of the jokes, some of the parodies, some of the references and coming to it 20 odd years later, uh, I think I could certainly appreciate it a lot more. Uh, don't get me wrong. It was, it was low budget and, yep. and it has its flaws and it's not certainly didn't win any Oscars and it certainly didn't deserve to win any Oscars, but I think, I think it really holds up better than I was, I was expecting it to. Yeah, and the thing was, well, so I mentioned that opening kind of movie that they did. What made me laugh, too, was that then you realize you see them actually sitting in the movie theater with the audience and they're watching yeah. the movie. And so they're they're at, they're at their screening and then it goes back to them on screen. And so it's it's the people. So they're on screen showing this post-apocalyptic movie. And then the, 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 the I think the projector breaks. So then they go over to their set of their TV show set and they sit yeah. there and they start talking. And then, so I'm like, wait a minute. So the, the projector broke. So they just go back to their set and they leave this in the feature film. Like, and it's yeah. on the screen. I'm like, this is just ridiculous. And then everyone, you know, gets upset. They got to leave. So I, I thought it was uh, uh, interesting. The line they have, they go to take off to, to get away from everybody. Cause everyone's bad. They want their money back. Cause the movie's so bad. So the, the, they go, who's driving? And and uh, Doug McKenzie says, "You drive. There's a lot of cops around." And I'm like, yeah. I don't, "What does that even mean? Is it like what? Because they're probably drunk. I say, like, is he drug? Do they have priors? Like what's going on? So anyway, so they start driving around Toronto, and I'm recognizing parts of the city. Oh yeah, me too. There's a sign. It's 465 Dundas Dundas Street West. You see this TTC streetcars. Yep. And uh, Ian Thomas's uh, is Dave Thomas's brother. And he did the title song. It's in the credits there. And I think, yeah. I want to say he performed on SCTV too, a number of times. Uh, I'd be shocked if he didn't. Yeah. 
So anyway, so they, they go home and they go home and they live with their parents, you know? And so they get home and immediately start eating donuts and drinking beer. And yeah. they, even, they even give a beer to the dog. Yeah. And then, and I, then I, that I remember was the whole, <laughs> where they give the dog the beer and then the dad's like, save me one of those beers. And they, they look at each other and chug them as fast as they can. And then they, yep. they take the dog, the beer out of the dog dish and pour it in a glass. And it's got all the leftover dog food. Yeah. And like, oh. yeah. But I remembered that. And I remember, and again, even though I knew it was coming, I was, I still laughed yeah. a lot. And then the dad's yelling at them. And I'm, and I'm thinking, what? That dad's voice. I know that voice. Is it? And I'm like, it sounds like Mel Blanc. So it I, went, is. I went on That's IMDb it. and it was. It was yeah. Mel Blanc that did the voice. I don't know how they got him to do it, but. I don't know. So anyway, so they leave the house. They drive around. We see more of Toronto. It's so dated. So you see, one thing that stood out to me was the old Kentucky Fried Chicken sign. It was a pole with a bucket on it that turned. Yep. They used to have these in the 80s. And I saw that and I was like, oh my goodness. And then they go to the beer store and it's called the beer store. And the thing that was interesting was, so so two things in this scene just jumped out at me. At the time, it was not called the beer store. Right. It was, it wasn't, they changed the name of the beer store in 1991 to the beer store. Right. You know, for any of our listeners that sort of live out of province in Ontario, we have the beer store. That's where you go to buy beer. Right. But it wasn't always called the beer store. Like I say, it was, it used to be called Brewers Retail. Right. And then everybody called it the beer store when it was Brewers Retail. So they just gave in and they said, okay, let's just change the name to the beer store. But when this movie came out in 83, it was Brewers Retail. But Brewers Retail would not allow them to shoot in one of their locations or include that in the film. So they changed the sign to the beer store. It looked the same with the orange, you know, sign, but the beer store, it was just funny because a number of years later, they ended up actually uh, changing. I knew I actually worked at the beer store. When it was the beer store or when it was the previous one? Right at, I, I worked right at the transition. Nice. So when I was in high school, uh, I worked at the the beer store. Right when I started university, I got a job there, and I worked there for a couple of years. Right when they transitioned over, and so anyway, so so the McKenzie brothers go into the the beer store, and they pull the old mouse in a bottle trick. Yeah, and so this is something they used to always talk about on their show a lot. If you put a mouse, a baby mouse, in a bottle, and then you feed it, it'll get bigger, and then you can take it into the beer store, and they'll say, "Hey, I found a mouse in this bottle," and then they'll get a, give you a free case of beer. <laughs> that was their idea. Of this. And that was why they weren't allowed to shoot in the in the actual brewer's retail. One, uh, th- I was reading about it that mm-hmm. they they were supposed to shoot scenes in a real brewery. They were supposed to be able to sh- shoot scenes in the real. Uh, retail stores, and once they realized there was a sequence about the mouse in the bottle, the 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 real companies were like, "No, we don't want to have anything to do with it." And uh, yeah, that that's that's why they had to make these changes. And the, the other thing that jumped out to me in this scene is they they go to the beer store with the mouse in the beer bottle because they have to get a case of beer uh, for their for their dad. I think it is because they yeah. like they lost the money or something because like, they have no money. They gave and the I, refund to the kids in the alley. And they, that was that it. Was dad's that was it. And, and, and so the thing that kind of struck me was, okay, so they just produced a feature film that was in theaters, but they can't afford the $14.75 for a case of Elsinore beer. Like, it's just, it's funny. These guys are so poor. But anyway, so they, the, the guy at the, the beer store tells them, oh, you got to go to the brewery if you want a case of beer. You know, get out. So they go up there and they, they run into, they see Pam Elsinore, who was played by, remember she's stuck in the gate? Her car yeah. was stuck in the gate and she's played by um, Lynn Griffin. And I just want to just give a little shout out to her because I thought she was just perfectly cast in this role. Um, she hasn't been in a lot of really popular stuff. 
Um, she steadily worked over the years. Lynn Griffin has. Uh, she was in the Heavenly Kid, the Canadian movie, and right after. No, was it? No, it was. Oh, so that was the Heavenly Kid was right after this movie. But Black Christmas was about 10 years before this. Uh, did you ever hear that movie? It was with Margot Kidder and Kier no, uh, no, I'm just looking at her IMDb now. Yeah, like, so yeah, Lynn Black Griffin Christmas, was in that. 1974, Strange Brew 83, Heavenly Kid 85. So she stayed in Canada to work as an actress. A lot of actors in Canada, when they get popular, they go to the States. You know, Jim Carrey, Michael J. Fox, people like that, right? But she always stayed in Canada. Where she's mostly known for Shakespearean stage work. But anyway, I, I I thought when I was watching this, I thought she just is kind of like the epitome of the girl next door. And it's got to be really tough to play you know, sort of a quote-unquote romantic interest in a movie like this. Because, I mean, there's there's pretty much every, pretty, every movie ever made pretty much has a romantic interest. But it's really tough to have in this movie when there's the two you know, co-leading actors are there and they're these stereotypical Canadians who just drink beer and eat back bacon. So she actually became the interest of Rosie, Rosie LaRose, you know, yeah. who comes in later. But anyway, I just want to give a shout out to her. I thought she was great. Like I say, she's stuck in the gate and the brothers are like, you know what we got to do? We got to ram her from behind. Jeez. And, and he's like, you drive in case she sues for whiplash. In case she sues for, yeah. <laughs> that way, I don't know you. I, I'm a hitchhiker. <laughs> One of the things I really thought was really good about this movie that, uh, you know, made me laugh was that they're like, they're a team. You got the two brothers who are inseparable and there's even the part where they separate and then Rick Moran's character is all crying. We've never been separated right. before. And then Dave Thomas is like, I'm so glad we got rid of them. <laughs> but, but up until then, it's like, they're always together, together, together. They got each other's backs. And then anytime something goes bad, they always turn on each other. Oh, oh they just throw please, each other I saw box. it. I'm yeah. going to, I'm a witness. <laughs> so it was this, it was this like love hate relationship, but, uh, which I thought was great the way it played out. So just like in the scene you said, where it's yeah. like, they, they go there, they're, com- they're together. They got a mission. They're on the same page. Then it's like you drive in case she sues for the whiplash. Cause he's going to, hand him out he's just gonna hang him out to dry if things yeah. go wrong and then rick Moranis runs around to the her side she's, he's like you won't super whiplash really she's like hurry hurry get me out of here yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so anyway they get in and paul dooley is in there another great canadian actor remember he was in 16 candles he has worked steadily yeah. steadily over the years he's one of those guys that everybody knows but nobody really knows you know, because he's just such yeah. a good character. You reckon, oh, I know that guy, you know. I, f- funny enough, I always remember him from an episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine where he was an really? alien and he had like this, this gray, the the Cardassians in their Star Trek. They had like this gray face makeup with like this thing on their forehead. And he was basically like a uh, being tried as a war criminal. And I don't know why it stands out for me. Like it was just the episode was really strong. He had a very subtle performance, but uh, that's where I always remember him from, even though he was the dad in 16 Candles. So, and sorry, you said the characters in the Star Trek was the Cardassian. He was just in the one episode. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, Cardassian. Cardassian, not to be confused not with Kardashian. Kardashian. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. That threw me off. Uh, so then another guy who I always thought was Canadian, but he really isn't is Max von Sydow. Yeah. Um, you know, the late Max von Sydow. Great. You know, he died in just this year. I think it was March of 2020. Um, but what a career that guy's had. No like, kidding. You think about it. He was Antonius Block in Bergman's The Seventh Seal. Ming the Merciless in Flash Gordon, Brewmeister Smith here in Strange Brew. He was in the, he was in Star Wars: The Force Awakens. He was been nominated for two Oscars, and he was also considered for the role of Quint in Jaws. Spielberg originally wanted Sterling Hayden for that part, 
but Sterling Hayden had scheduling conflicts. So then um, Spielberg considered Max von Sydow for the role. And then when he finally settled on Robert Shaw, good choice, by the way, going with Robert Shaw. Um, but anyway, don't forget he was also in Game of Thrones. Yeah, hey, TV what? show. He has a small part as the Three Eyed Raven, but again, right? You know, right. he brings he just brings like a gravitas to to the role, right? He reminds me of, uh, you know, and I don't mean to sound insulting in this. He reminds me of like a slightly lesser Christopher Plummer, like Christopher Plummer. He's got this great screen and stage presence, and Max Van Max Fonseto to me is just sort of like just a small step behind. Uh, behind him so yeah there's just some something about him he just he has a unique look and and his voice and everything he's very 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 unique actor uh he definitely was so anyway so the the guys are trying to get into the brewery and i love how they talk to the secretary and she's not letting them in so so he's like well perhaps this will change your mind because they just happen to have donuts in their pockets you know (laughs) now i was actually a little surprised this if this movie was made today there would be shameless product placement and these would be Tim Horton's products and they would have, they would definitely let you know that, Hey, maybe this Tim Horton's donut will change your mind. eh? but I was surprised that there was no Tim Horton's product placement tie in, but yeah, I don't know if maybe just Jimmy's wasn't as, as big a deal in the early eighties or if they just never thought to, to approach them or if they did approach them and they're like, no, we're not, we don't want to be associated with your crappy little movie. Like that, that to me was a bit of a, Telltale about how old and how low budget the movie was. I think it was a combination of all the things that you just mentioned. Yeah. That, that they just didn't do as much product placements then. Tim Hortons wasn't as popular then. And then even if they were, you know, a bit popular, they were like, we don't want to be part of this. I think it was a little bit of everything. So, yeah. So right after this, all these Canadian actors are in it. And then they bump into Rosie LaRose, who was played by Canadian actor Angus McInnes, who was also yep. in Witness, which we have done here on the show. Which we did. And, and he was, was in Star Wars. Yes, he was one of the X-Wing pilots who flew down the yep. trench of the desk. Which we Star. talked about when we did Witness. Yes. And and I like how uh, uh, Rick Moranis says, I got that guy's hockey card at home, eh? That's Rosie LaRose. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> so, everyone's got hockey cards in Canada, right? Yeah. So they they get a job working in the brewery watching the beer for mice. That's their yeah. job. They just got to sit there and watch beer all day. They make it about five seconds and they start drinking the beer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then Max von Sydow's part, again, you talk about it being a bit dated. He's like, bring in the lunatics from the, from the asylum. And I'm like, yeah. it's so on PC. <laughs> like, yeah. A, lo- a lot of, uh, a lot of, and I, I, the other thing, and again, I know we mentioned this on a lot of these old movies, just the idea, uh, uh, the gender um, uh, inequality in this movie. It's like when they come to see the the president, they're like, "We're here to see that guy," and they're like, "She's like, oh, he's dead." Oh, well, we'll see the guy that replaced him. And it's like, right. again, because in the early '80s, the president, of course, is going to be a guy. And even with the daughter that inherits, it's like the, all the other men are trying to pressure her. Like, no, no, you don't want the burden of of running this company. Again, it's 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 just a sign of the times of these older movies. It it it's yeah. Anyway, good good points. Saying. Good points. Yeah, yeah that, that are easy to, to to miss at the time when you watch it. And now looking back, you're absolutely right. Uh, so anyway, so they the, all these they they bring in these quote unquote lunatics from the asylum, and they're all wearing this full body armor like stormtroopers. There's like white and black. Yeah, and this is where we get the plot of the film, right? Because Brewmeister Smith has put a drug into the beer so that he can use mind control over people because right. like any good movie villain, he wants to take over the world. Of course, of course. He's, he's even got a map of the world on the wall with like red lights on it. <laughs> yeah. so, so anyway, so he gets him to play a hockey game and 
one of the evil guys with him is controlling the players with like this organ music. And then they all go down. And I love that they're, they're playing the game. They're crashing. And Rick Moranis, they put him in goal. And all the guys go down and just body slam him. Like they just check it over. They knock him right over. And instead of being like incredibly badly hurt or anything, he gets up and he complains that the goal shouldn't count. No fair. They were in the crease. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> like, so I just Canadian. laughed and laughed at this. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And then there's the scene where they go in the cafeteria with the video game. It's the galactic yeah. border control video game. And then, of course, it's got a video of the bad guy killing the original owner of the brewery on it. Mm-hmm. And then they go back to the change room and he's like, somebody horked our clothes. Yeah, let's go check the lost and found, eh? <laughs> like, like, yeah, like it's gonna be there. <laughs> and it was, it's Max von Sydow and Paul Dooley, obviously, dressing their clothes so that yeah. they can shoot tranquilizers into Pam Elsinore and the other guy, and then frame them. Yep. And then I love how Bob and Doug just go around the whole brewery, and then they find the control room and they start playing the organ, and they play their theme song from their old yeah. SCTV show, and it makes the hockey players fight. Uh, but anyway, so th- obviously this is where things happen where. Uh, Paul Dooley and Max Foncito, they, they put Pam and the brewer that they shot into the kegs and then they they drug uh, Bob and Doug and they get them to, you know, to, to do their thing and they, they get them to drive the kegs down. They say, you got to take it down to the to the dock by the lake and they rig the brakes to fail. Right. And I, again, they're driving around Toronto. I'm re- they, I, they're driving down the Queensway at Royal York. Yeah. I'm oh, like, yeah, no, I, I, I know that right neighborhood like, like crazy. Um and then instead of going to the dock, they stopped. Oh, we got to go feed the dog, right? And they walk in on the parents. Yeah. <laughs> and all and they, they, they got all those cases of Elsador beer they took home, and they're all empty. The dads drank them all. Every single well, one. Of like the things 20 I, cases. Never, I didn't catch until this time through was right. when they go home and they, they walk in on the parents doing it. It's Dave Thomas and Rick Moranis. Playing the parents. Oh, you never caught that the first I time? I never caught that Oh, yes, before. I caught that the first time. It's them. And, and He's like, so, take off, eh? Yeah. So that, well, I think because I was so focused on the voice, right. I knew the voice was different. Right. It never occurred to me that it was, the, that those two guys were in that scene. So that, that I thought was funny. The other thing with that, that I only picked up this time is um, Dave Thomas character is holding a piece of licorice when he opens the door and then when he sees the parents, the licorice immediately droops down. Like, Oh my oh, God. I didn't notice that. I was like, Oh, again, I, 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 it's one of those very subtle things that you might not catch on the first time through, but yeah, it just made me laugh. I never caught that at all. And then they get in the van and I like how they're, they, they go into this little routine about you ever notice in movies, they never look at the road when they're driving. Like, yeah, Oh my God. That's do. my number one pet peeve on shows. <laughs> I know. That bugs me so much. Every time that happens, I turn to my wife and I'm like, they're not looking at the road again. She's like, we just shut up and watch the show. Every show does that. It's so annoying. So the brakes fail and then they go into the lake and the, 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 the van kind of goes up this ramp and goes into the lake and you see the Toronto skyline in slow motion blew me away. It, yeah. Does it ever look different in oh, 1983 compared to today? It yeah, looks like a different unreal. city. It totally does. With the CN Tower is the only thing that you sort of go, well, okay, that's clearly Toronto. But you could see the the Royal York was not the Fairmont Royal York, but still just the Royal York. And that's the thing that is the farthest south 
There was nothing south of that. It's, it's like there's so much construction that's been built up there. So many buildings, so many towers. There's yeah, no Scotiabank building beside the Montreal building. There was no Sky Dome, Rogers Center. There's no condos everywhere. Yeah, it's it, it was a different time. It, it really totally different. That totally city. dates it. Yeah. Not necessarily in a bad way, but it's it's a it's a real stamp it's on. A, yeah, this it's is like what a time stamp. Looks like I yeah. agree. And they go into the lake. I recognize where they were. They're down by that Red Path Sugar plant yeah. down on the east end yep. there. And then Pam goes into the water too because she's in the in the keg. And Rosie LaRose goes in and he saves her. And then he yep. sinks to the bottom, but he lands on top of their van. So this this part of the movie always confused me. <laughs> so the McKenzie brothers are inside the van. Yep. Are they? Drinking beer underwater, or are they sucking the air out of the stubby no. bottles? Well, and and again, I misunderstood this the, when I was younger. I thought they're underwater drinking beer, but I'm like, I don't get it. No, I think because when they turn the bottles upside down, there's still air in them, and so that's why they're stuck on the roof of the van. Right, the air's trying to push it up. So yeah, I think that's the that's how they stayed there. alive. But that's how they stayed alive. Because and then yeah, yeah, they obviously what we didn't see off camera is when they heard Rosie land on the top of the van they, they obviously went out. out to get him and brought him he's in, in there with him yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah and then i love the cop comes down he like knocks on the window just like a traffic stop yeah and he rolls the window down and he shows, shows him his, his badge and then he shows him his driver's yeah. license again the old driver's licenses with no pictures on them right uh but i and i love just before that it cuts to an intermission yes. which i totally forgot about just the like, word no intermission. actual intermission it just is intermission yeah. and then it just starts yeah. again like five seconds yeah so um anyway so so they obviously they get arrested for kidnapping her and they get thrown into this holding cell at the jail with all these hardened criminals and and the thing was i recognize the police inspector so he comes in guy wearing the hat canadian actor his name's tom harvey he was in wayne and schuster and he was on super dave osborne and he was also in mazes and monsters you remember that canadian tv movie I, I know of it. I don't remember. I don't think I ever saw it. It's about D and D your favorite. Game. I know. That's why I know about it. Yeah. Tom Hanks and Chris Makepeace and a great voice on the guy. So anyway, I recognized him because um, he'd done those things. Um, and then I love how they get a floppy disc with the video of Max von Saito committing the crimes yeah. as if video would fit on a floppy disc. <laughs> like, you know, when you think about it, like in terms yeah. of technology, um, and then I like that they think it's a bootleg record and they actually <laughs> go later in the movie, they yeah. put it on the turntable and he goes, you got to like, it's like one of those ones you got to play sideways. And, and yep. uh, I, I, so I, and when I was reading uh, some of the, the trivia on the movie, they were saying that there's uh, like a thrash metal band that used that, that audio clip from the movie in one of their songs. So I downloaded the song and listened to it. I'm like, Oh my God, it was, yeah, it, thrash metal is is definitely the right term for that. But anyway, yeah, just yeah, a little aside. Thrash metal is definitely not my favorite genre. Not my music. thing. Yeah. I know some people who love it. No, I'm not one of them. Sorry, guys. So they're in jail. They got to get out. So they get a lawyer. And he beats up the press. Oh, and then the female reporter confronts him and he takes her out. I was like, my God, like he beat her up in front of the stairs. I was like, oh my goodness. That was, that was a bit much. I did notice in the background of that scene, there was a big sign that said Etobicoke. So I guess they were at the Etobicoke city hall. Oh, they, maybe. Yeah. And I mean, then, and then he's like, we better pay our bill on time. Yeah. <laughs> Cause this, this is lawyer means business. And yeah. then they go in to see the judge and he's in a court. And I don't know if you notice again to date it, there's a picture, there's two pictures behind him. One of yep. the queen and one of Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Prime minister Trudeau. Yeah. Yep. Our the current prime minister's prime minister dad. Right. Yeah. And then this is the other thing again, really un PC. 
and, and, you know, of the times, they get committed <laughs> to the Royal Canadian Institute for the Mentally Insane. Yeah. Like, jeez, yeah. I can't believe it. Oh, man. But, and then, then they're giving each other electric shock therapy. He's like, turn it up to 90. Yeah. <laughs> like, as if. And then, um, so then Rosie LaRose comes in, he breaks them out, breaks out Pam too. And then you find out the bad guys have a plan to go to Oktoberfest. Right. And they're going to taint all the beer. In now, Kitchener. In Kitchener. Now, yeah. uh, have you ever been to Oktoberfest in Kitchener? I have not. Now, a, f- a little bit of trivia. Okay. I was actually born in Kitchener, Ontario. So um, so I was born there, and I, I grew up just outside there, a little town called New Hamburg, for a lot of years. And so I've been to Oktoberfest, you know, a few times. I've gone back as an adult. And uh, Kitchener was a re- like, it's a very German city in Ontario, right. for anyone who doesn't know. It was originally called Berlin. And then after the war, they were like, maybe we should change this name of the city. <laughs> so they came up with Kitchener for it. But yeah, very German city, October. It's probably, I think it's the second biggest Oktoberfest in the world outside of Germany. Um, but anyway, so the, so it's a big part of this movie because Oktoberfest is the place where everybody drinks beer, right? Yep. And then I like, yeah, the scene that you mentioned, Rosie and Pam, like they've obviously kind of connected at this point. And yep. they have a tearful yeah. goodbye. And then Bob and Doug also have that tearful goodbye because they've never been apart, you know? And then so Bob and Pam, they get trapped in the in the big vat. Yeah. And and Max von Saito, he rigs it so it's going to fill up with beer to drown them. And of course, Bob just drinks all the beer. Yeah, and, and no, even yeah. before before he drinks it, they're waist deep in beer, and he says, and our Pam says to him, "I think it's getting warmer in here." And he's <laughs> yeah. like, "Well, I, I didn't notice anything, eh?" <laughs> like, it's so stupid, it's so dumb. But those are the jokes that I remember that I I, I, I still laughed at, even though I knew they were coming. And then Max von Sydow, he has like apparently like this super strength. Because at one point he's going to crush Paul Dooley's head. He's like, I could yeah. crush it like this. And then, yeah, it you know, just seemed a little weird. Yeah, I don't know. Again, it got kind of weird in places, the movie, I thought. Then uh, Paul Dooley goes into the, uh, the the assembly line. Yes. And remember, he comes out the other end and he's got like labels and stuff all over him and bottle caps all over him and all that. Well, hang on. Let me back up a second. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to point out was um, earlier in the movie when they were playing hockey, it was and they, and all they all had the equipment on. They look like stormtroopers. It was the the team in black and the team in white. Right. And it, the, he talked the the scientist guy with at the organ. He talked about how he could have them like with certain sounds fight each other. And he said they're they're basically prompted by sounds and by colors. And then so later in the movie, uh, when you sort of the part where you're talking about uh, Bob and Doug, eventually they or uh, Rosie and uh, and uh, Dave Thomas, they they let the um, the inmates out of the asylum and they get them all decked out in their hockey gear and they send the white team to do one mission and the black team to do the other mission. So one of the things I didn't notice again until this time through is. The guys dressed in the black hockey equipment go after Paul Dooley, who in this scene is dressed all in white. He's got the white because he'd been pretending to be a doctor. So he has a white doctor's gown on. So the black, the black uh, hockey players dressed in the black armor go after the guy in white. And on the other side, the guys in the white armor go after Max von Sydow, who Good is dressed black. entirely in black. Ah, and so, I again, it's those up. little things that yeah. I didn't pick up on until just this time through. And then I was like, oh, look, they're, you know, again, it's it's those little subtle things that right. if you miss it, it's not a big deal. But when you catch it, you're like, oh, good. Like somebody did their homework here, right? It's like it's it's yeah. these little subtle things. I like uh, like I mentioned, uh, Bob drinks all the beer and he's like huge. Yeah. I got to yeah. take a leak so bad I can taste it. 
he's, he's and he burps the lid off the vat. He's so stupid. Yeah. And then John Elsinore, the dead guy, appears to Pam, and he has these effects. He says, "Oktoberfest, stop them." Yeah, nice effects, eh? And it's like these cheap, cheesy effects. Yeah. But uh, so the institute catches on fire. Like there's some electricity that goes over, and then of course Bob pees on the fire and puts yeah. it out. Yeah. And then. Um, and I love the inspectors like, okay, you got to come with us now. We're going to Oktoberfest. And Bob's like, no, no, I've had, I've had enough beer. I, I don't want to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I thought it was interesting. Again, another Canadian, small part of the movie that you pick up if you're Canadian. They get Hoser the dog and they give him directions how to get to Oktoberfest. And they got yeah. a map and they're talking. Can you take Highway 401 to Highway 6 up to Highway, highway 8? Highway 6? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh my God. I'm um, like, hey, those are the accurate directions. Like, I thought it was interesting when they get, yeah, there was, when they get to Oktoberfest and they show the polka band. I was a little bit disappointed there was no Walter Ostenek. Yeah. In yeah, the band. Exactly. It was, it was, again, I, probably they couldn't get the actors. Yeah. To, to be there for such a small part. Walter Austin. Although they're all friends. You would have thought that they would have been able to pull those strings, but it could have yeah. just been a timing thing. Uh, Walter Austin, I remember, like he was, he used to do a show in Kitchener on local Kitchener TV called Polka Time. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a half an hour show would come on after the news on Saturdays. I remember my grandfather used to watch Polka Time <laughs> and he used to like it because it was like, they would just do, it was almost like a Lawrence Welk kind of show, but just did yeah. polka. And there's one guy in the band who was, would stand at the back playing an accordion and had the biggest smile on his face. Like he had these huge teeth, this huge smile the whole time. And he was like one of the most popular guys on the show. Everyone loved him because he was just a smiley guy. And that was him, Walter Ostenek. And uh, so he actually parlayed that into some fame in Ontario. He, I remember he opened up a, a music store in St. Catharines when I went to university. It was a big thing there. And then I, I got a chance to meet him uh, a couple of years ago, maybe 10 years ago now. Um, I went down to Oktoberfest and he was there and then had a chance to talk to him just briefly. And I remember there was people coming up and wanting his autograph. And one girl came up and said, I want you to sign. And she pulled her shirt down a bit. He couldn't see anything, but yeah. he, she wanted him to sign like the top of her breast. And he was like, no. Nope, I'm not doing that. No. <laughs> right in front of me, he's like, no, no, I'm not doing that. I don't do that. <laughs> it was just thought it was funny. Um, nice. So anyway, so the movie's wrapping up, and uh, they, there's all this tainted beer at Oktoberfest, and they, they thwart the plan and everything like that. And then they're like, well, what's wrong with the beer? Is it poison? They're like, no, no, it's not poison. It'll just, if you drink it, you know, it'll wear off in a while. Well, maybe we should take it back to the brewery then. And they get to ride off into the sunset with a yeah. truck full of beer. And he's like, you're going to crash it. And he's like... No, man, this is a beer truck. I'm not going to crash it. <laughs> I'm not going to crash it. It's a beer truck, eh? Nice. And then uh, the closing credits is Bob and Doug doing their familiar TV show. and they're But they're critiquing yeah. the movie. And I Which I totally forgot about. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. I, I mean, as a savvy movie viewer these days, I usually let the credits run. If I'm watching it at home, I let the credits run or I fast forward through. Cause a lot of times now there's like those little stingers at the end or there's outtake, especially comedies will often do outtakes. Um, you know, like think about like cannibal run, like they were great with and, and porkies. They always had those really funny outtakes. Yep. Um, so I thought I'm going to let this run. And I honestly couldn't remember. And then I was very pleased to see, Oh yeah, look, here's this little bit. So and nice I think little- I'm assuming it was all improvised. Oh, I got to think so. Because they're just, they're like, oh, well, this guy here, this guy, oh, yeah, so he's a grip. You know what? We know what a grip but is. But when they talked about grips, it actually was at the part in the credits where it said grip and it had the names of the actual grip. So I wonder if that. They, they might have had a monitor. They might have they a must, monitor. Or yeah. they might have synced it up to say like, okay, mm-hmm. we know it'll be around this time. But yeah, probably a monitor when they were doing it. You're absolutely right. Um, so one of the things I wanted to um, uh, dig into just a little bit, I don't want to over overanalyze this. Yeah, was, for sure. Um, 
So in preparation for for the podcast this week, I did a little bit of homework in preparation before I watched the movie. I, you know, I wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, I was familiar with the finer points. One of the things that I learned was that um, when uh, when they wrote the movie, they were heavily, heavily inspired by Hamlet, Shakespeare's Hamlet. And there's a lot of parallels between this movie and Hamlet. Again, loose parallels, a lot of inspiration, a lot of of similar themes going through. Uh, and so when I read that before I saw the movie, I thought, okay, well, let's let's take a look. And it was, it it it, it holds up. The theory holds up to a certain extent. It's like, um, you know, little things like the fact that it's Elsinore Brewery, and in Hamlet, the the castle is Elsinore Castle. Um, you have the idea that. The main character's father has uh, has died. You find out he's been murdered, and then uh, that the 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 brother is the culprit, or is at least involved. And then he marries the wife immediately. So there's that parallel that happens. Um, and then you sort of have the character of Pam and the character of Rosie, sort of one's Hamlet, one's Ophelia, but there's a little bit of sort of back and forth and gender swap. Some of the Hamlet things Pam does, some of the, the Ophelia things Rosie does. Uh, you know, there's the scene where Rosie drowns and in Hamlet, Ophelia drowns. And essentially Bob and Doug are our stand-ins for Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. They're not really the, the quote unquote heroes. They're just there. They happen to be in the right place at the right time so that the audience can see the rest of the story. Um, and and there again, I, the more I was reading through it, there was a lot of parallels um, where where it had been inspired by Hamlet. And, and from what I understand, that was 100% intentional. And there were actually a lot more very, very direct connections. But after some of seeing some of the initial drafts, the various reviewers were like, no, this isn't going to fly. It's not funny enough. It's it's too much Hamlet. Take some of that out. Put some more jokes in. So it, it was interesting to rewatch it after all these years. And because I do know the story of Hamlet pretty well, I was able to certainly pick up on some of those small nuances. And, and it just it sort of added to my enjoyment of the movie a, a little bit. So interesting. And it doesn't really surprise me because a lot of the stuff, going back to what we talked about at the beginning of the, the episode with SETV, a lot of the SETV sketches and stuff were kind of, I want to say, sort of quote unquote highbrow, like, mm. like stuff about Shakespeare and stuff like that. Like it doesn't surprise me at all to hear that. I heard that they were going to, they were, there was talk at one point about doing a sequel to this movie. Yes. It was around, the, around 99. And, but I mean, it just fell through. I don't think it would have, ever really come to fruition because um, Rick Moranis stopped making movies. Yeah. You know? well, like he stopped making I, movies in 96. I mean, he did a couple of voiceovers and stuff after that, but he stopped appearing in film, you know, in 96. So I don't imagine that, you know, he would have been in this. And if, if he's not going to be in it, like, why would you make it? You know, you can't yeah, have exactly. one of the Kenzie brothers. There was talk of, I think Ackroyd was going to be in it. I don't know if he, you know, how that was going to work out, but like, just, I'm it'd glad, like, I'm glad like, it didn't happen. I'm glad it'd it be like happen. the the Blues Brothers sequels where they're yeah. like, oh, well, we'll bring in another guy who we like, who's a good actor, who has similar tastes, but it's like, yeah, hey, no. he's not Belushi. Like, come exactly. on. Exactly. So. No, I agree. So uh, looking back on it now, after all these years, you want to give it a rating out of 10 for me? Um, I think sort of technically I'd probably do like a six and a half, but from my heart, I think I probably go as high as a seven. Yeah. I think I, like I said, off the top, like I, I, 
I, I enjoyed it and it was funny and I laughed and it is what it is. The, don't You can't put too much onto this film or into this film. It is what it is. But I mean, it wasn't great. I thought it was good. It wasn't great. I would give it a six and a half. So I think yeah. we're, we're, both we're both about on the same, same page. Spot. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like we said, nostalgia certainly, uh, you know, gives us a little bit of rose colored glasses when we're looking at it. Like one of the things you had mentioned about some of the things you noticed in it, like that you were familiar with the yellow police cars made me laugh. I totally yes. forgot that Toronto used yes. to have yellow police cars. It, again, it's, it's, it's a moment in time that you, f- you just forget. And, yeah, and those stubby bottles, the stubby beer bottles that was right uh, around the time yeah. they, they started transitioning to the bigger bottles. But yeah. I mean, stubby bottles were like a big deal. It's part of Canadian, you know, culture, you know, yeah. like from back then. So no, overall, I thought, I thought it was quite good. I'm glad that we had a chance. That's why I say every week. I'm so glad we get to go back and watch all these movies because what other chance would I have, you know, to do it? But anyway, so that's the movie. So time now to have some fun with Caveman. All right, my man, it's over to you this week. Uh, what do you got for me? All right, so uh, Bob and McKenzie mm-hmm. are uh, are a, a great movie duo. You would never have a Bob McKenzie movie. You would never have a Doug McKenzie movie. You need them together, as we just said. They're a duo. They're, they're a package deal. You can't imagine doing anything where there's only one of them. So we're going to look at a number of other movie duos. Okay. Where it's practically impossible that you would ever envision one without the other. Uh, mostly movies, a couple of TV ones thrown in as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, there some, some are, are, um, uh, some are like super iconic as duos. Others, um, maybe a little less, less iconic, but certainly familiar. So I, I think you're going to do very well on this. Uh, you know, not, not any, I don't have any real trick questions in here, but uh, let's, let's see. I mean, I know that you stopped watching movies at, uh, in 1989. So this some of the newer correct. ones might, you might trick, trip you up a little bit, but I think that they are popular enough that you should be able to figure it out from the clues. So you ready? All right. Movie duos, every answer I'm going to, okay. How about this? Every question I got, I, I need the duo. I need the names. In some cases, the duo go by nicknames or short forms. So if you can give me the full names, bonus points. And in, if I don't explicitly give you the name of of like a movie or TV show that they were actually in, tell me if you can name at least one movie or TV show that they appeared in just for just for some bonus points. OK. All right. All right. So uh, we'll start off with a couple easy ones. So between 1978 and 1984. This famous pot-smoking duo made six films, beginning with Up in Smoke. That was Cheech and Chong. Cheech and Chong. Full names? Oh, full names you want. Uh, Cheech Marin and Tommy Chong. There you go. Bonus points for getting the full names. Okay. This computer-animated duo have been inseparable since they debuted in Pixar's first full-length computer-animated film in 1995. Uh, Buzz Lightyear and Woody. Yes, correct. Yes. All right. Now, that happened after 89, but I still got it. Yep. Uh, Well, you got kids, so I figured that would have helped. Right. Okay. Despite being too old for this in 1987, when this buddy cop action series debuted, the leads returned for three more sequels in 89, 92, and 98. Oh, yes. It was um, Lethal Weapon with Riggs and Murtaugh's. Oh, God. Martin Riggs. Yep. What was Murtaugh's first name? Oh, Damn it, it's been so long. Was it Roger? Yes! Yay! 
Ice. Briggs and Murtaugh for Lethal Weapon. You got it. I liked, I liked that movie a lot. Uh, yeah. Seen it multiple times. I really liked that movie a lot. I've seen the second one once. I saw it in the movie theater. I haven't seen it since. And I haven't seen any of the other ones. But the original I, movie I really liked. God, I like. I really liked part one. And I actually really like part three a lot too. Two and four, not so much. Mm-hmm. No, I, All right. I like yep. Uh, let's move on. Next question. Okay. I'm so happy I got Roger uh, I remember that. What's that? I'm just so happy I remembered Roger Murtaugh. So yeah. No, I was like you. I for some of them I had to look up the ant like right. I, I had to look up the first names. And so for those two, same thing. I knew it was Martin and I had to think about it for to get Roger. All right, next question. Don't let his name fool you. There are definitely two characters in this duo. One's a scoundrel with a quip for every occasion, while the other is strong enough to pull your arms out of their sockets if he loses. Oh, it's got to be Han Solo and Chewbacca. Yes, yes, it is. is. Very good. All right. All right. This duo has been on television since 1969, teaching children many valuable life lessons. Please don't read anything into the fact that they've shared a bedroom for 50 years. They're just really good friends. Oh, it's Bert and Ernie. Yes, it is. They don't have full names. There's no way. It's just nope, Bert and Ernie. Those right? are the full names. Oh, as good, far as I good, good. All right. In 2004. Oh, geez. This is newer. I don't know if yeah, I'll know this. Yeah, one. this might be a little tougher. In 2004, these two stoners were inspired to get hamburgers after seeing an ad for them on television. On their way there, they encountered many obstacles, including a gang of extreme sports punks, a raccoon with an attitude, a group of Asian nerds, a racist police department, a cheetah that escaped from a local zoo, and an out of control Neil Patrick Harris. Name them. Okay, so this is going to be, this is going to surprise you because I watched nothing new, but I actually saw this movie in the theater. I don't remember the, the circumstances, but it was Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. That's correct, yeah. Harold. And I remember it, but it was shot in Mississauga, Toronto area, wasn't it? I honestly don't know. I'm pretty sure it was. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. All right. Here's a nice easy one for you. Like the McKenzie brothers... These brothers made their debut on a television sketch comedy show before getting their own movie in 1980. We'll pretend the terrible sequel released in 2000 never actually happened. It's the Blues Brothers. Jake and Elwood. Yes. Yes. Correct. I would have been shocked if you had missed that one. I couldn't miss that one. There's no way. All right. Love them. Next question. On paper... The idea of a teenage boy who spends all his free time alone with a middle-aged scientist may sound creepy, but throw in a flashy car, rock and roll music, cool skateboarding moves, and some sci-fi, and you'll keep coming back to see these characters in their 1985 classic. Oh, it's, it's Back to the Future. And the duo was? Marty McFly and Doc Brown. What's Doc Brown's first name? Oh, God, Doc Brown. Oh man! Oh, was it was it Emmett Brown? Yes, yes. <laughs> pulled it up. Good job, buddy. Yes, I'm so happy. Nice, nice. Oh, I'm so happy right now. All right, I'm having Next. fun at this. Okay, there's I got quite a few more here. Okay, oh, the, the most famous slackers in all history encourage us to be excellent to each other. And here's a hint: the trailer for their latest sequel in which they face the music was released earlier this week. It's Bill and Ted from Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. I've never seen the movie, so I don't know their full names, but it's Bill and Ted. 
um, what was it? It was uh, Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan. Ah, I would and never the, have got that. The only that. reason I remember that is yeah. my brother constantly references them saying their names like that. I don't know why. That's just something he does often. Mark, Mark likes that movie a lot, does he? Yeah, apparently. Oh, cool. Okay, a few more to go here. All right. Uh, this pot-smoking duo were originally only minor supporting characters who kept making cameos in a series of loosely connected independent films before they finally got their own movie in 1995 and a reboot in 2019. So another, again, this happened after 1989, but it, I saw this in the movie theater when it came out. I wanted to see it. It's Clerks, and it is um, uh, Jay and Silent Bob. Yes, correct. In 95, they got Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and last year was Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Had a chance to meet Jason Mewes briefly at uh, 2016's uh, Fan Expo. Nice. Just nice. just briefly. Met him on the Thursday night. Yeah. We've we've been to a few uh Kevin Smith does a lot of touring uh uh and, and Q and A and stuff. Right. And so we've seen him a few times when uh the Jane Silent Bob reboot did the road show last year. We we saw him when he came through Toronto. Uh and I, I listened to uh to his podcast. I, I, I really enjoy uh I really enjoy his work and uh he really has a good take on uh in my opinion, he has a really good take on what's happening in pop culture right now. I, I agree right. with you. Yep. All right. A few more to go here. Uh, probably the most famous duo to ever appear on television, film, and in print media. These characters were originally created in 1939 by the duo of Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Was it Batman and Robin? It was hey, Batman and Robin. Yes. I was a Real guess. Name? That was a guess. Uh, Bruce Wayne and uh, Burt Ward. <laughs> <laughs> Burt Ward was the actor who played Robin. Yeah. Dick Grayson was the original Robin. Dick Grayson. Oh, geez. I, that, that sounds familiar. I know you yeah. say that. But. I would have given you any of the Robins if you mm. had said Tim Drake or, um, oh, my God, I'm blanking on the one that nobody liked that got killed. But anyway, I would have given you any of them. But OK, uh, next question. Another pair of sketch comedy veterans transitioned their reoccurring characters from television to the big screen in 1992. Party on. Oh, it's uh, Wayne and Garth. So it'd be Wayne Campbell and Garth Algar. Yes, yes. correct. Oh, I remember those guys. Yep. Nice. All right. Last question. Okay. Nice, easy one to end it. I was worried you might have had a few down notes. I wanted to give you a nice, easy one at the end here. These Wild West outlaws flee, to, flee the U.S. to head to Bolivia, where they believe they'll have an easier go of robbing banks. Oh, it's Butch Cashley and the Sundance Kid. It sure is. There you go. Good job. Nice. You got them all, buddy. That's, That's great. Those were pretty easy ones, I got to say. Uh, well, you know, you, you don't, we're not trying to trip you nope, up here. Exactly. But, so, but I enjoyed that. Couple there was ones a few you, out. you had yeah. to really pull on, but yeah, you got I them. to pull out. I couldn't believe I remembered Emmett Brown. Oh, geez, that was great. Uh, so anyway, so that was great. Next episode, it's over to you to pick a movie for us to watch and then review here on the show. So what movie would you like me to watch? Newer movie, obviously. You always do that. Yeah, so um, in our episode last week, we did directors, and my number two director on my list was Tony Scott. Yeah, it was a bit of a a surprise. Ridley Scott. Again, just to go back to that, that was a bit of a surprise for me. I was was shocked. Um, When you mentioned uh, Scott, I thought, oh, it's Ridley Scott, and it was Tony Scott. So a little bit of a surprise at number two. 
Yeah. Yeah. So my uh, so I want you to uh, I want you to go back and watch uh, one of Tony Scott's best movies, uh, the 2004 film Man on Fire starring Denzel Washington. OK, uh, it's uh, it's a little bit on the long side. It runs almost two and a half hours, but uh, it's it's a great it's a great film. It's one of my favorite Tony Scott films. And uh, it's one of those ones where whenever I see it come on on cable, whether it's the first five minutes or the last 20 minutes, I, I, I'm, I'm all in. I, I never miss this. Whenever I see it in the lineup, I make a point of watching it. I like it that much. I've seen it. I've probably only seen it from absolute start to finish maybe two or three times but i've probably seen 45 to 60 minutes of this movie uh 10 or 12 times i don't miss it it's it's there's a lot to like about this movie denzel washington gives a fantastic performance it's got a strong supporting cast of uh of people you're going to know and recognize it's got a very young dakota fanning in a in an exceptionally good role she does a really good job christopher walken's got a small guest part uh mickey rourke's got a small guest part you're going to see a lot of people in this that you're like oh i know that guy and uh yeah it's style like it's it's very stylistic kind of film the way it's shot uh, i think after you watch this you're really going to get a better appreciation for why i put tony scott so high on my list of directors yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping i do i gotta say you know obviously number one i never watch any movies after 1989 unless you make me watch them or i just happen to fall into them here and there but man on fire i'd never even heard of it's uh, yeah, I, I, I don't want to keep talking because I'm going to start ruining the movie. But one, one yeah. last thing I no, want don't to get, I want to go in fresh. I always like to go yeah. in fresh into these movies for sure. For but sure. I just saying like, I, I never even really heard. I know Denzel Washington, obviously, and know some of his films, but I've never even really heard of that one. So I'm, I'm well, curious. Denzel Washington's work with Tony Scott in like four or five movies. And mm-hmm. uh, again, always, always a fun ride with those two. So if you end up enjoying man on fire, uh, we may get you to watch unstoppable down the road, which was Tony Scott's last film, uh, about a runaway train that may not sound like it's, it's very interesting or exciting, but it, it's a thrill ride. Is so it, anyway, is it any fire, better than that snow piercer that I had to watch from Yancey? Oh no. Snow piercer was great. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not nearly as good as that, but, uh, you may enjoy it more because, uh, <laughs> you need to go you back know. and listen to the, the episode we did. on. Oh, I have, snow I have, I did not like that movie. You were just straight up wrong. I yep, think you just didn't I get. That. I'm usually wrong, apparently, on these. So. Come on, the director ended up winning winning the Oscar this year for 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 the Parasite movie. Uh, yeah. Did you see Parasite, by the way? No, I still haven't seen Parasite. Okay, we may have to watch that one coming up soon. We, we did, anyway, we, we, we got so many to watch. We okay, could do this Man for twenty more years. Next week, take okay. it away, Man of Fire for next week. We'll come back. I will and, watch it. Uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Sounds like a plan. I will watch Ban on Fire for next week. We will come back next week. We will review the movie. Until then, if you'd like to reach out to us on Twitter, at Amaron underscore DM for Derek, at C. McBrien on Twitter for me, or popgojaworld.com is our website where you can find all our contact information and send us an email or get in touch with us. In the meantime, until next week, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Music.